Okay, we are in Nehemiah chapter 13, and this morning we're starting with verse 14. So let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study and to learn um, from history about uh, how Nehemiah gives a good example of a, a faithful man, a man who uh, served because he loved you and and wanted uh, always to see uh, your will be done and to see you honored and glorified. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that as we go through this book, we'll learn some things that we can apply in our own lives. We pray you bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, now we do typically start by reading a section to get the uh, our context. So we're going to... Read from verses 10 through verse 22. Now, in chapter 13, I'll just point out verse 13. If you want to skip over the names, you can. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I'll go for it. Okay. Well, it might be. It might be Dale or somebody in the second yeah, row. Okay. 10, 10 through 22. Where do you want to start from? I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah then bought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. I don't mind doing the name. Okay. In charge of the storehouses, I appoint... Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pediah of the Levites. In addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good, my good deeds that I have done for this house of my God and for his servants. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, and figs, all kinds of burdens which they brought uh, into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Tyrians also, who lived in the day, brought in fish and all kinds of goods sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. When in these shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them, and I said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my Lord, and show mercy unto me according to the great love, to your great love. Okay. 
So just kind of going back over the historical context, Nehemiah was the um, uh, cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He heard about the plight of Jerusalem and asked for the authority to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And so uh, Artaxerxes sent him to Jerusalem. Uh, this was back in 444 B.C. That was a, when you look at Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks, that 444 is what starts that off. So, um, so he went back, uh, got the walls built, took care of some other problems, was governor there for 12 years and had things pretty well stabilized. At the end of the 12 years, he went back to King Artaxerxes for an undisclosed amount of time. While he was gone, all these other problems started cropping back up again. So he comes back to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm guessing maybe four or five years he was gone, but he comes back to Jerusalem. Uh, the first problem he had to deal with here in this chapter was that uh, Eliashib, the high priest, had given a storage room to uh, Tobiah the Ammonite. Uh, he was related through marriage, and he'd come to visit in Jerusalem. He gave him a storeroom to use as an, basically an apartment. Um, the Ammonites were forbidden to be in the temple complex by God, but Eliashib gave him a room there anyways when... Um, Nehemiah found out about this. He had all his stuff tossed out and they cleansed the room and started using it as a storeroom again, um, but discovered that there were no tithes to put in the storeroom because while he was gone, the people had stopped collecting tithes to support the Levites. And so the Levites had all, I mean, they could stay in Jerusalem and starve or they went back to their homes and tended their fields so that they could survive. So he had to uh, reprimand the officials, get the Levites back in town, make sure everyone, and they got the tithes collected and stored again. And so that's what we've been looking at up through uh, the end of verse 13. So he's, he's taking care of a problem in the temple. He's taking care of getting the Levites back in to serve and lead worship. And that brings us to verse 14. And he asked God, he says, Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. <clears throat> so Nehemiah here is, is basically telling God, you know, I've done these good deeds, please remember them. He's, he's not being proud, but he's being accurate. He's being correct in what he's saying. Um, I've heard humility described as having an accurate um, concept of who you are and what you do. You know, not false humility, but true humility. True humility can say, yes, I've done this great deed, you know, by God's power, by God's grace enabled me to do this, but I did accomplish this. And that's what uh, uh, Nehemiah is saying here. Uh, He's been faithful to, it says he's been faithful to God's house and to God's worship. He, he had uh, the Ammonite tossed out and cleansed the house. Uh, he had the Levites restored for the worship service. And so he, 
He's not doing this out of a, just a sense of duty or legalism, but because he loves God. He wants to see the temple uh, kept holy. He wants to see God worshipped. And so this is faithful service to God. Um, when you look at uh, uh, Nehemiah, a lot of this is uh, his memoirs. So he's probably getting you know, older and, and he's might be anticipating his death. And, and so he's saying, you know, God, remember me for the good things that I have done. And we've got a similar book for uh, t- Paul. Let's turn to 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last book. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So this is probably the last chapter that he wrote. Would someone like to read verses 4 through 6 for us? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all oh. situations. Endure hardship. I don't think... 2 Timothy 4? Mm-hmm. 4, starting in verse 6? Oh, 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 sorry. oh, excuse. oh I'm sorry. <laughs> verses 6 through 8. 6 through 8. 2 Timothy... Okay, six through eight. For I already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Okay, so, you know, Paul's not bragging or boasting here. He's just accurately saying, this is, you know, I've done these things. I've kept the faith. I've, I've, I've finished the course. You know, I've done what God wants me to do. And now I anticipate the rewards because God will reward the faithful servants. There's you know, several of Jesus' um, parables where a faithful steward goes to his master and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's something I think we all look forward to someday. Well, and he adds on there, and like those other ones, you know, like the rest of you who are doing this also. So mm-hmm. it's, so it's yeah. just, it's kind of like, okay, this you're doing this, and you get rewards for doing it. Right. I'm just one of the group. Yeah, he's doing right. He's courage, encouraging them. Let's look at uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and here would someone like to read verses 4 and 5. I, oh, I glorified you in the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Okay, so here Jesus knows his time on earth is short, and he's saying the same thing. I have accomplished what you sent me to do. I've done your will. And the, you know, that's not bragging. That's not boasting. It's, we, and we need to remember that, that we can go to God and say, yes, I, <laughs> I've done something good, God. <laughs> Please remember that. <laughs> you know, I gave him three years of ministry, too. Yes. <laughs> so. We, you know, in our family, Mom just finished. Danielle got her a subscription where there's like she sent a question a week and then she answers mm-hmm. the question from her life experience and it ends up it's like mom's 
testimony of oh, life okay. in answering these questions. It was a fabulous gift. Anyway, we just got the books printed. So uh -huh. we have my She's mom's memoir, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's her testimony. It's kind of her advice from her walk with the Lord into uh -huh. the future. It's, okay. it's a great gift, you yeah. know. Um, okay. And like she talks about, um, you know, the, the devotionals that she sent during the pandemic and how she never considered herself a writer, uh -huh. but God prompted her. And yeah. so she responded, you know. Yep. So. Uh, you printed yeah. about 40, 40 bucks? Yeah, yeah. So it's, okay. It's, yeah, we just got them like two weeks ago. Really fun. <laughs> yeah. How come Chanel didn't tell us about it? There's <laughs> 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 humility. There's some humility there. Yeah. So, so Nehemiah now is he's, he's in, in this chapter. He's dealt with a couple of problems related to the temple, related to the worship service. So now. He's got some other problems that he's going to deal with. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. So it says, in those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sacks of grain and loading them on donkeys as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. So the Jews are conducting business as usual on the Sabbath. They're not keeping the Sabbath. Um, he sees them treading wine presses. They load up the donkeys with all kinds of uh, food products and things and bring them uh, into Jerusalem to sell, again, on the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah admonishes them that this is wrong. You should not be doing this. Now, based on this list of produce, this is probably in the fall. This is because um, in the springtime they have the, the winter barley and the winter wheat come due and you have a, a harvest that they celebrate on the Feast of Pentecost. But this is in the fall. You've got the... Um, the grapes, the figs, things like that, that are uh, the wine uh, has come uh, become ripe and, and they've been picking that. So I'm guessing it's in the fall time. Now, when you harvest grapes, uh, you know, they, they, they will go bad. So you're, you're under, you know, this is farming. When, when the crop's ripe, you've got to harvest it. You've got to trample, you know, tread the the grapes in the wine press. You know, you're under, you're under some time restrictions. It's harvest time. You've got to get this stuff done. And, and that may have been their reason for, you know, well, I know it's the Sabbath, but I've got to harvest my grapes. Let's go back to Exodus chapter... You can feed them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we've had to deal with a lot of these issues in yeah. our lives. <laughs> Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. Well, I grew up on a farm too. So. <laughs> in fact, this morning, Joe had a call from someone who tried to get a hold of us yesterday, but we were all gone. Mm -hmm. And he wants two yards of chicken manure. Yeah. <laughs> he wants two yards of chicken manure. And so Joe said, well, I want to go to church. 
uh-huh. and I want to eat with my family after church, but I'll take care of you after church if that's, yep. you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I was <laughs> kind of a preface. The Sabbath rules do not apply to us. <laughs> this was strictly, this, this was for the Jews, the strict rules. When I tried to the strict that rules. Curry, that I was, wasn't used to really taking the Sabbath off, they uh-huh. didn't really agree with me at all. Yeah. <laughs> they still didn't actually do anything on Sabbath. I'm, 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 going, I'm not used to really a day of rest. I mean, I just take it when I need it. Right. So when I tried doing my Bible paper on the Sabbath, I got marked down for it. No. <laughs> Wow. They asked what days you worked yep. on, and I wrote down every hour each day, and they read it marked down for the Sabbath oh. on Sunday. Okay. Exodus 34. Would someone like to read verse 21? Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. <laughs> God knew that was coming. <laughs> he says, yeah, I know this. I know you got to get the seed in the ground, but not on the Sabbath. I know you need to harvest, but not on the Sabbath. Very specific. You've got, I give you six other days you can get your work done. And the, I think the part of the point is, is um, God says, I want you to trust me. You know, the, the one that we've talked about Back, I think during the book of Ezra was the seventh year where you don't plant, you don't do anything. Yeah. And you have to trust God that he'll keep you alive until the seventh year has passed. Um, so, um, I don't you know, thought you would divide your form into seven parts. Yeah. <laughs> Just rotate that seventh year. <laughs> No, they don't allow. That. I thought I thought about that. I, I I was wondering. Well, do they allow you to rotate the seventh year different fields? No, no. The whole farm goes down for a year. Um, I was thinking back of an experience I had when I was in junior college, um, and it didn't apply to a Sabbath, but you know, I was always very conscientious about having my homework done on time for classes. And as a young believer, one, I remember one day, I really wanted to spend my time reading my Bible. But I had to get homework done. And I just thought, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to class tomorrow. I won't have my homework done. But I want to read my Bible. I just felt like I needed to read my Bible. So I did that instead. And I got to the next day, came to the first class. And the teacher was sick. Class didn't meet that day. So the fact that I didn't have homework done... No big deal. I went to a next class and the, the teacher said, well, you know, all the other kids have called me and they were having trouble doing this assignment, so I'll postpone it for a, a day. So it's like, good. God took care of it. Um, God took care of it. So now we talk about exceptions to the strict Sabbath. Let's look at Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. This is one of those places that got Jesus in trouble. Luke chapter 13. Um, We'll read verses 10 through 16. So let's read around again. That's a fairly long passage. Verse 10. Verse 10, start. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by the Spirit for 18 years. Oh, okay. so it wasn't that yet. 
had a little number there. She has bent over and could not straighten up well. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? So, so ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had found, think of it, for 18 years he loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Okay. So yes, you can feed your chickens on the Sabbath. <laughs> so there, you know, there, there are priorities. You know, sometimes when we look at God's rules and you know what God tells us to do, they kind of okay. Does these they seem to conflict with each other? But there are priorities, and that, that's what Jesus recognizes there. Um, I was just thinking. Uh, you know, we were talking about the Sabbath. Uh, Going back to Colossians. Okay, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. So those were the Jewish festivals. They were all solemn assemblies when they could do no work. And... Paul is telling Nicole, um, in this book, the Colossians, don't let anyone judge you on those days. They don't apply to you. So, um, so anyways, uh, back to Nehemiah chapter 13. They are selling merchandise on the Sabbath. There's no exception for that. This is a direct violation. Um, now, this word admonish is used several times um, uh, way back in our psalm of confession. He admonishes the, the sellers here. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 9. And we'll see this word admonish. Someone like to read verses... 28 through 30. And after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them, according to your mercy. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules which a person does when he shall live by them. And he turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck, and they did not obey. Many years you bore them and warned, and warned them by your spirit through the prophets, yet you did not give ear, therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the land. Okay, verse 29, warned or admonished them. Um, and then uh, halfway through verse 30, you admonished them or warned them by your spirit through the prophets. 
So God sent continual warnings to the Jews who were disobeying his laws. So this word has the idea of uh, a warning, a condemnation, an exhortation to repent, to change their ways. So here he, uh, here Nehemiah says he admonishes them. Now, it doesn't tell us what their response is, but I'm guessing it wasn't positive because we'll see him take some very drastic action later. Um, we go on and we see in verse 16, men of Tyre, they were living there. They lived in Jerusalem. Um, so they're, they're not Jews, but they imported merchandise from Tyre on the seacoast to sell on the Sabbath. So you had probably seafood, fish coming in, and it was also a trading port, so they had other merchandise that they would trade um, you know, around the Mediterranean. They'd bring that into Jerusalem. And uh, the commentaries said probably at the, at the northwest corner of the city was the fish gate. So this is probably where this was happening. They would, that's why they call it the fish gate, because that was the fish market. Um, but Tyree's not very close. It's no. a long ways. It might be like 40 miles, I think. It's north. north. It's, it's slightly north, north. yeah. It's north of, of Israel. And uh-huh. like, well, that's not very close to Jerusalem. Joppa is much closer. Yeah. On the coast. So. It just made me that far away to bring yeah. the fish after that. Well, the, but it was the other port also. That's by the well, universe. The men were from Tyre. They were traders. Maybe they imported from the other ports, too. We, we're not told what port they used, but yeah. You're right, Joppa was a lot closer. Uh, I didn't know if Joppa was there at the then, though. I wasn't sure if that went to the time. Yes. Well, when they, like when David had uh, timber Joppa. brought for the temple, it came to Joppa. Okay. Yeah. So. so here you have these non Jews living in town uh, and selling fish and merchandise. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Does the law apply to them? Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, please. If someone would like to read that. This is the when God first gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor the stranger who is in, within your gates. The stranger in the gates, does that include the men of Tyre living in Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. Yes. This rule, this law applies to them as well. So um, so all these <coughs> things that are going on, you know, God knows what we're going to do, and he knows what the Jews were going to do, and he specifically stated in the, in the law, Okay, you might think this is a loophole. No, it's not. Just because someone else is, you know, just because you're not a Jew doesn't mean the law does not apply to you. It applies. They don't have the excuse. They didn't know the rules of the game. Yep. <laughs> the rules were all laid out for them long before. Right. And all the Jews who should have known the rules and let and let them know. So Nehemiah admonishes them, but again. It, Apparently that may not have helped much. So let's go on to the next two verses. 
He says, Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So now Nehemiah reprimands the nobles. Um, This is the same word we had back in verse 11. I reprimanded the officials. Um, I think we have that word reprimand again later. So back in verse 11, it was the officials because they were not collecting the tithe. So the officials were people who were in in the government. They had authority. They were supposed to make sure that the tithes or taxes were collected. Um, Here he goes to the nobles. And that basically refers to the upper class in Jerusalem. And typically the upper class are the people who have the wealth. And they get it by doing business. So these were the businessmen, really, in the city. And they were probably the ones responsible for all the trade and the business that was going on there. Um, and, and so this was the... Um, you know, he had gone to the people on the street who were doing the selling. They did not respond. So now he's essentially going to their bosses. They're going to the owner of the company, going to their managers and, and reprimanding them. And so he condemns them for profaning the Sabbath. He says this was evil. It's a clear violation of God's law. We've already seen that. And then he goes on to remind them that all this disaster that's fallen on the city is because their forefathers had ignored God's law and violated God's law. And he says, why are you just continuing to violate God's law and bring more wrath upon us. Um, so, you know, he's going after them and saying, you know, we're just going to get, God's going to come back and have to judge us again. Don't ask for more problems. Um, when he first came back, remember, he rebuilt the walls that had been destroyed. So that was only maybe 15 years earlier. So they should have been aware of you know, what the city had been like and why. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 17. We'll look at the prophets a little bit because they basically exhort and admonish the Jews just like Nehemiah is doing here so we can see some examples of what they went through. Jeremiah chapter 17. Someone like to read verse 27 for us. Okay, so here, uh, Jeremiah ministered right before Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Babylon. He was at, or destroyed Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, or Jeremiah was in Jerusalem during the siege and when the city was destroyed. So this is before uh, Nehemiah comes and he's warning them, you're carrying loads, what, on the Sabbath day. God's going to destroy the city. Your walls will be destroyed. Your walls will be destroyed, yeah. Uh, so he's, he's giving them that warning. And again, they, 
The Jews at Nehemiah's day should have known this. This is one of the reasons why God destroyed the city in the first place. And now they're doing it again. And again, there's not any indication here that the nobles responded to Nehemiah either. Um, in Jeremiah, let's turn to chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. And would someone like to read verses 4 and 5 for us? Okay, so here, again, uh, why, um, the, you know, Jeremiah is saying that uh, the, the people who, who are poor probably haven't been trained, and they don't know that they're violating the law, but the rich people should know. Yeah, so, so then it becomes a deliberate uh, disobedience. Now, come on in. We're, we're studying in Nehemiah chapter 13, and... We're just finishing up. We'll be done in about five minutes here. So, okay. So you can imagine, <coughs> Nehemiah is probably getting a little frustrated. You know, nobody's responding. <coughs> Prophets get a little frustrated too. I think God gets frustrated with with this continued disobedience. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter one. And I think you'll see, I think, an example of this kind of frustration coming out. Isaiah chapter 1, would someone like to read verse 10? Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our Lord, you people of Gomorrah. Okay, now is, is Isaiah talking to Sodom and Gomorrah? It's the attitude of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. They're... No. He's comparing he's, people to Yeah, he's talking to the leadership of Jerusalem and said, You're just as bad as the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were. You know, you condemn them, but you're just as bad. You're acting just like them. Yeah, you're acting just like them. So, you know, Isaiah's kind of calling them names there, but you know, that's an insult. But again, um, Nehemiah is probably thinking the same kind of thing. Come on, people. This is an obvious violation of the law. You're violating the Sabbath day. So um, he decides to take some good concrete action. Let's look at verse 19. And it came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load should enter on the Sabbath day. So he decided he was going to enforce the Sabbath by shutting and locking the city gates. As the governor, he had the right and the authority to do that. So uh, this order probably went out in the evening, uh, right before the Sabbath, and he ordered those, the gates shut until the Sabbath was over. Now this would definitely either severely hamper or completely stop the commercial activity uh, within Jerusalem. Um, 
But he also says he posted his own men to guard the gates. And we've seen, you know, several times throughout the book that he uses his own men because he knows they'll be faithful to him. They will follow his instructions. Um, you know, I can imagine all the yelling and screaming and arguing going on and people pounding on the gates and trying to get them to open the gates on the Sabbath day. And if they weren't, you know, pretty steadfast guards that they might relent. But he knew his people would not. Um, Nehemiah had, we, there's several places where he um, picks his own people. Again, we, we saw it last week with uh, storerooms. He specifically picked certain men that he knew were reliable and faithful to watch the storerooms in the temple. People he could trust. Let's go back to chapter 7. This is shortly after he gets the, the walls have been rebuilt. They've got the gates hung. And for the first time in decades, the city is secure. Um, let's look at verses 2 and 3. Chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. And I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the gates. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. So here they were still worried about the surrounding nations attacking them, but he picked, hand-picked a, 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 someone he knew that was a reliable man, a man who feared God in order to... Uh, command this and to watch the gates. <clears throat> okay, so what happened? We might not get through these next two verses, but <clears throat> verses 20 and 21 says, once or twice the traders and the merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside of Jerusalem. Then I warned them and said to them, why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. So the traders no, came. No, usually they came to stay outside of it. <clears throat> no, they, they came and they camped outside the city. Yeah, they couldn't get in. They're waiting for the gates to open. Um, and it says it happened once or twice. You know, some of them got the message the first time. They said, okay, you know, Nehemiah is serious about this. The others, you know, they may have thought, well... Maybe he's not that serious. Maybe he'll open the gates up to, you know. So they came back a second time. And, and maybe they were hoping that the, you know, the wealthy businessmen in Jerusalem would persuade Nehemiah that, you know, commerce is really important and we need to keep buying and selling on the Sabbath. But it didn't happen. He kept the gates locked. Um, and so they gave up. Now, they also, but the, the problem was they were still camped right outside the, the city walls, um, and the commentaries suggested that they might still have been doing business. You know, we'll set up our booth here outside the wall. You can come out and buy fish outside the city. And so that's where Nehemiah threatens them. He says, I will use force against you. Don't camp outside the walls. He, so he not only locked the gates, but he chased them away. And so that 
pretty well ended the, the Sabbath trade on the Sabbath. It was because he locked the gates. He shut them down. Now, he was the civil governor. And so he had the right and the authority to control the gates. Um, we didn't quite finish this section because uh, the Sabbath is really a religious issue. And so we'll see in the next verse that he gets the Levites involved. But we don't have time to do that right now. So let's close here. Joe, would you like to close in prayer for us? Lord, we thank you again for your word, for the way it speaks to us. It's a living word that directs our lives. Lord, we thank you for that's been put in here. It's the God that's the same as yesterday, it's the same as God today. And just the way it is, a truly a living word that <coughs> is speaking to us today. <coughs> Excuse me. We thank you for that. We thank you for the, for the teaching that Daryl brings forward. We just thank you for the, um, the way it comes alive to us. And Lord, just pray that if you'll have it be a, a direction for us, a guide for us, something that we look at and, and daily look at and bring up and, and hear you speak to us in a personal way. We thank you for that. Thank you for this um, hour and pray for the next hour to come, that you will um, be honored, that you will be glorified. Pray that we worship you in the, in the attitude that you want us to, that we will be obedient to your callings. Refresh every prayer.